Last year, we were introduced to a new, albeit shameful term, DEI fatigue. The term bothers me like it's some kind of justification for stepping back from DEI efforts. But the argument is what exactly? That organizations have grown tired of pursuing commitments they once said were ironclad? As one member recently put it, it's funny how nobody gets success fatigue. This year, it seems to have gone from fatigue to defamation, as critics paint DEI as reverse racism. The U.S. Supreme Court's decision to reverse decades of affirmative action added more fuel to the anti-DEI movement. If anything, these realities demand that organizations deepen their commitments to progress, not abandon them. It's in that vein that we wanted to share with you a page annual conference session from last year, titled On Racism, Inclusion, and Reconciliation, Breaking Barriers Through Partnerships. This session featured a panel moderated by Cheryl Battles, the VP of Global Diversity, Inclusion, and Engagement at Pitney Bowes, Dahabo Ahmed Omer, CEO of Black North, and Michael Jacobs, the CEO of Cambium Indigenous Professional Services. We featured Michael's part of the panel on a podcast last year, his unique perspective on the challenges facing Canada's Indigenous people. In this episode, we recognize the beginning of Black History Month as we bring you Dahabo's unique experience and voice. By her own account, she's funny, and like many funny, intelligent people, she uses humor to connect while also sharing profound ideas on the language of reparations. We are sure you as communicators can see value in that language too. I'm Elliot Mizrahi, and this is the new CCO. Rivet360 has been working with Paige to bring you the new CCO for more than six years. And that goes way beyond just editing and production. They're true thought partners, helping us develop our show's unique voice and identity brainstorm ideas and tell, well, riveting stories. To me, that's what makes them and our show so special. They're storytellers first and foremost. And as communicators, I know we can all appreciate the value of a story well told. So if you're thinking about launching a podcast or you have one that needs some fresh ideas, visit rivet360.com to book a free consultation. Well, first of all, my first job was at A&W and so meeting the sea <laughs> today was... <laughs> I did get fired. It is the only job I ever got fired <laughs> So I was just sitting there going, oh, I should go and talk to her after. Um, so it's a great pleasure to be here. Um, look, I, I don't even know what to say about myself because, you know, as I was driving in today, I was listening to this podcast about what it meant to be a wholehearted person. And you hear that, like, I love you wholeheartedly. I'm here wholeheartedly, I'm devoted to this wholeheartedly. And so I was trying to understand what it meant for me to be wholehearted. And I thought, and literally, like I was listening to him on my drive-in and Toronto driving is stressful to say the least. Uh, I'm from Ottawa, so it's, I'm still getting used to the insanities of, of how you all live here and actually are happy. Um, <laughs> and, and so as I was in this drive for 46 minutes, I thought, you know, what does it mean for me to be a good and wholehearted person? And I was trying to redefine that for myself, but also just give myself ideas of the things that I've done over time that allowed me to be wholehearted. And so, and then I thought, okay, I've been a really good daughter to my dad and mom. I've been, I think, a great sister to my brothers and sisters. I'm a fantastic aunt of like six nieces and nephews, but also twins that were just born like three months ago. So I'm like defining all of these things, but I think I'm also someone who, um, gave a lot of herself to the work of equity and the work of being seen, the work of 
feeling really good in the spaces that you're in, which is why I do the work that I do, and I've been doing it, I think, as long as I can probably remember. Um, I love being the CEO of Black North. It is the hardest job I have ever had, but probably the one that rewards me the most and makes me wholehearted. Um, and, you know, I'm young at heart, young in mind, but also so hopeful for the future. I feel that there's so much that could be done uh, as we go through this work. Uh, former public servant um, and now in the corporate sector, which is a completely different beast. Um, but it helps me frame my mind around the people that I work with and work for um, and want to be with on a daily basis. And so hopefully that tells you a little bit about, and I'm really funny. Um, sometimes I'll be funny in a very uh, dry way because I think life is just sometimes. Um, and then other times I'm just hilarious and, and people who know me will tell you that. And so I try to be myself as much as I can because I think it's hard to not do that. Um, it's the easiest thing to do to put uh, these barriers up. And so if you want people to get to know you and if you want to be seen and you want to see people, you just have to find a way to be really vulnerable. And so um, hopefully you'll get to know me a bit more today as we talk. Thank you. So we use the language of reparation, so to repair something that was broken. Um, and I think the idea of understanding what has happened to black people, uh, not only around the world, but more specifically in Canada, because sometimes we do take ourselves out of um, the destruction of black bodies. And I, and I say it that way because that's exactly what it is. Um, and you'll also hear people say, you know, slavery was years and years and years ago. How could that still have an impact today? Um, well, if you frame it in any other way, if you um, think about the impact of how you were brought up, how your parents were brought up, how they were brought up, and how that trickles down generation after generation, well, slavery is the exact same concept. Um, people have... People have lived a certain way for such a long time that they were told um, that A, they didn't matter, two, they didn't count, uh, three, they didn't even exist. Um, and so this idea of understanding black people in that way, I think is really critical to be able to have any kind of conversation with any black person. Um, and I think if you start off from that perspective alone, you're breaking down an incredibly massive barrier. Um, it's this art of um, being compassionate to something that you may never understand. And I want to just maybe say this out loud because I think it's important to you. Um, the idea of having a relationship or being in a partnership with a black organization like Black North or others, or having a relationship with a black person, whether they're your friend or your colleagues or your or your families, um, it's this. Uh, it's important to understand that. We don't want allies to um, feel the pain because you will never be able to. Um, and we don't want you to be in pain either, right? I think the idea of understanding and being able to have relationships with these communities um, is to listen, it's to try to understand, it's to um, give them space, give them priority, give them an opportunity. Um, it's all of the things that you can do. What you cannot do is put yourself in the shoes of black people ever. Um, and don't try to because it's, it's harmful for you and it's harmful for the person that you're engaging with as well. I think a lot of times when we talk about breaking down barriers, 
People will see it as hosting, uh, you know, an event or having, uh, you know, uh, a celebratory return on Black History Month. Like it's that's not breaking down barriers. Unfortunately, I think those are uh, meaningful ways to start a conversation. Absolutely. Um, but a lot of times I think it's important for people to understand that the work is so deep rooted and there's a lot of work that you probably have to do um, individually before you can engage. And I know that's hard to, to, to you know, it sounds pretty difficult, but um, I always say this, you know, progress is absolutely progressive. It will never happen overnight, but um, and the harder that it gets for you probably means that you're doing a really great job at it. Um, and so if you're just struggling internally with how do I engage? What does this mean? How do I work with my my workforce? How do I um, understand the way that society works? I think, you know, um, we heard it a couple of times today, but that collide between COVID-19 and racial tensions. Um, I mean, it was an incredible storm that happened. Um, and everybody literally, the revolution was televised. We sat there and watched it happen. Um, we had communities that were dying because of COVID, and we had communities that were dying because of racism, and it was all happening at the same time. And I'm hoping that that moment was a great awakening moment for people to say to themselves, like, how do I be part of that solution? Like, what does it mean for me to be a part of that? And that means that you're doing a lot of the internal work to break down those barriers. And that's not an easy thing at all. I think um, the more that you get into it, the harder that you find. Um, a lot of the CEOs, if not all the CEOs that we work with at Black North, and there are over 500 of them, representing $1.3 trillion of the market cap. Like it's massive in terms of network. And they will always say the exact same consistent thing. This is hard. And the more they do it, the harder that it gets. Um, but the fruits of those labors, my God, like I, I've, I, I can't tell you the amount of incredible things that have happened. Um, the more people engage in this kind of work, and I, and I think it's important for 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 us to understand that the Black population in Canada is such a young population. You know, um, over 70% of Black people in Canada are under the age of 29. Like. The opportunity for impact is so great. We have such an incredible opportunity to have generational impact. Now, literally, we've never had that in the history of ever. <laughs> like I can just say history, but the history of ever, that's never happened. So, um, so the responsibility is great. Um, the burden is greater. Um, but the and I just I worry about not putting ourselves in that frame, right? Understanding. Um, the responsibility that we have today, we've never had it ever. And so this generation here, I think, has an accountability that they need to take on. And and, and I say this with a lot of humility because I think it's important to do that. Um, I'm just going to pause for a second because, you know, when we talk about racism and breaking down racism, uh, there's a fear that comes with that, right? Like I'm standing here in front of you, I'm a black Muslim woman, I was a refugee, an orphan, an extremely difficult path to get to Canada and to stay in Canada and to grow and develop in Canada. So that like, and I'm, I'm only 36 years old, so um, and anyone thought that I was older than that, we're going to have to have a conversation <laughs> after this. But, um, you know, it's, there's so much that's happened and then I could be angry, I could be so sad, I could uh, give in to a lot of the um, anxiety and depression that comes with um, being a black Muslim woman uh, in Canada. But um, I think the choice that we all have to make is say to ourselves, like, what else can we do? How could I be better? 
How could I bring joy to someone else's life? How could I make sure that my staff comes into work and feels really good here and having conversations? And I will just give an example before I pass the, the mic back to Cheryl. Um, there's a gentleman in this room by the name of Mike Fernandez, who is um, from Enbridge. Uh, from the first conversation, and I will point him out, he's sitting right there. <laughs> and he could get up and he's really tall and you'll all see him, but he is the one of the people that I spoke to the very first time as a very young CEO, first time ever in my life I've been a CEO. Um, and that's a different journey of how you even give an opportunity to someone like me. But, you know, the conversation that I had with him uh, made me feel so good. Like, and he didn't say very much. You know, um, I think the opportunity to be heard um, and to be valued and to, you know, uh, say to myself, this is someone, you know, uh, I pay the Enbridge bill every month and I'm talking to the SVP, like, how is this happening? One. And then two, um, this person who's in a very important role in an organization that's quite critical in the way that we function as a society is giving me an opportunity to talk to him. He's listening to me and he's validating the things that I'm saying and he's asking me more questions. And, and so that conversation, and I've never shared this with you, Mike, but it was so empowering for me that anytime I went into another conversation with another CEO, I felt really empowered and confident because I knew that um, that I could, that there was possible, and that someone was able to do that for me. And so when we talk about barriers and we talk about communication and dialogue and creating relationships, it's so important for us to be as vulnerable as we possibly can in those conversations and let, like, just uh, let our guards down and have, and, and just be human, you know. And I think the last three years, if he hasn't taught us that, I don't know what it's taught us, but there's a humanity to the work that we do that allows us to engage. And I think that's the way that we break down barriers. It's just you being human. Don't shame me. Don't make me feel awful. Please don't do that. Um, and I won't make you awful either. Uh, but how do you, how can I make sure you're okay? How can you make sure I'm okay? Making sure that even though we're not in each other's lives on the daily, that you're still my keeper and I'm yours, right? How, how do we create a society where I can look at everybody in this room and be like, I want everyone here to be okay. I want everyone to be good. And how do I contribute to that, right? So I think that's what it means to create relationships. I think that's what it means to break down barriers. <laughs> yeah. The next voice you'll hear will be moderator Cheryl Battles. One of the reasons why we don't often have these conversations is that we don't have shared constructive language around difference. You walk into a garden and you see a rose, a lily, a mum, and an iris. You comment on how beautiful that garden is because of the variety of colors and heights and textures and even scents. We don't do that when we walk into a room full of humans. So developing this shared constructive language around difference is really, really important. You know, when people see difference as a barrier, it really distances um, communities from opportunities. So what kinds of skills or attitudes are needed for organizations and CCOs to kind of help bridge this opportunity gap? We do it all the time at Black North when we are, um, and look, Black communities are so diverse in so many different ways, and so engaging within even just that population could be um, could be a daunting task, right? But 
we spend a lot of time trying to understand the communities that we serve, even as black people. Right? Like my history is quite different than uh, our director of, of uh, strategic comms, Shelton, who's in the room here. Um, you know, we are both from Africa, but different parts of Africa. Right. My history of being from East Africa is quite different than other parts of Africa. So can you imagine black people around the world and, and the, the, the realities that we've all have faced in the past, right? And so we spend a lot of time trying to understand communities without uh, labeling, without um, giving them a narrative that is, they don't associate with. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we've done that a lot with black people where we've stereotyped them, we've put them in a box, we've decided what they were, what they were, what they are and what they're gonna be, um, which is one of the most limiting um, and destructive thing that you can do to any community, right? By stifling the growth, by stifling their, their opportunity growth. Um, and, you know, there's been so much research that's been done on what does it mean to be part of a marginalized group, right? Um, and understanding that our diversity is actually an asset. So bringing in individuals who have different backgrounds, different experiences, different realities, actually makes your business function better. We've seen it time and time and time and time again. And so um, I'm not here to make the case for that, but I think the understanding is that in order to get to that, um, you have to learn about the communities that you serve mm -hmm. and do really meaningful and intentional work about understanding the realities for these communities. And a lot of times when you hear about some of the things, um, you know, when you hear something like 29% of black women don't have a family doctor, it's a consistent thing across Canada. And that's the stat from last census. I think it's a little higher this census. Um, when you hear that about 67% of our black youth get suspended and expelled, which is disproportionately much higher than other communities. Um, when you hear that uh, black people get paid 80 cents to the dollar to their counterparts, when you hear that, um, like just the, the, the return on investment for education, which is already extremely difficult for black people to even get into school, right? Um, to be able to pay for school. And when they do, um, they're not able to get into the job market for various reasons. There's been a lot of, uh, and this is something that, um, you know, a research that we did in public service, I used to work for public safety and uh, we did a blind resume testing, right? Um, and unfortunately, uh, when, and I say unfortunately, because I think it is unfortunate that the results show that there is a higher, actual higher, higher rate of recruitment for black people than other communities, simply because of their resumes. Um, and then when we do the same type of recruitment and there are names and there are interviews and you get to meet people, it's a completely different result. And that tells you there's something wrong here. But it's just, you, you said it earlier, you know, how do you, how do you come into a space and know the communities that you serve specifically? Everyone is so different. We're all so, um, we carry so much, right? And if you ever, wanted to include me in your spaces, you would need to know that um, I have a very difficult time accepting compliments. Someone um, gave me a woohoo earlier, uh, and, um, and, my, and my face started to sweat because I'm like, oh God, oh God what's happening right now? Uh, so I'm terrible at that. You know, you would need to know that I'm a giver. You would need to know that I will work till 2 a.m. and it won't, I won't break a sweat for that because I'd love to do that. 
Um, but you also need to know that I'm scared to be me. I'm very scared to allow myself to come into a space completely there all the time. Um, I think about uh, how my hijab was torn off when I was really young and people didn't see me as a person. Like I think about all of those things. So if you, as a person I work with or engage with, if you want to include me in that, you need to know all of these things. But to get to even knowing all these things, you need to get to know me and create a relationship. So I give you that random example again because I think it's important for people to do that. You've got to be really uncomfortable, like lean into that discomfort because that's how you're going to win. Like it's the only way. And I hope I've made some of you uncomfortable, but I hope you walk out of here thinking, okay, so I've got, I've got some work to do here with the people around me. Like there's something more that I can do here, right? The panel's honest and humble tone encouraged many honest questions. Here's one from one of our members that was not easy to ask, but has a huge impact for communicators. Hi there, my name is Michael Meslansky from Meslansky Partners. Thank you for this. Uh, I have a question that I'm going to ask with a lot of humility and a lot of curiosity. Uh, and Cheryl, you started with the comment that words matter. And I think you know, one of the questions I have is you've set up what needs to be done. It's hard. You've used that over and over. It takes a lot of work, requires a lot of effort, very difficult to do. It requires uh, really, I mean, just judging from what's been set up here, there are a lot of pitfalls. There are a lot of opportunities to go wrong. It's going to take a lot of time and a lot of energy. If you think about uh, what category uh, of activities, events that, that you describe that way, it is elite athletes. It is very small populations of people who are willing to do a lot of work to achieve a goal that is very difficult to achieve. And I say that because often when you say something's hard, as humans, we generally don't want to do hard things. And so if I'm, if I'm listening to what you're saying, you are in many ways, I think, suggesting that this is an area for very few people to participate because they have to really want to do it. And I guess as, as I think about what we do as communicators, we spend our entire lives really trying to make things easy, easy to understand, easy to relate to, easy to believe, easy to like. Is there an opportunity to make this easier so that it may, it may encourage more people to try it? And are we not kind of creating a barrier potentially if we say this is really hard you have to really want to do this is it discouraging people from participating can can we do anything about that yes okay um thank you for uh, being really honest and thank you for uh, the grace that you exercise in asking that question because I, I know that it was a difficult question um you know There's a part of me that wants to say to you, um, the kind of work that you're in will require you to do this. Like there's a part of me that is being very operational in my mind going, if you're going to be someone that's going to be um, the language of a company, because that's what comms is, um, then you're going to have to learn the language and any language that you learn is going to be uh, very difficult. Like there's a part of me that wants to say that. Um, but that's not the answer I'm going to give you. <laughs> I think what I want to say to you is that if, in order to, for it not to be difficult anymore, for it to stop being difficult, um, we are the generation that's going to have to do that difficult work. 
Um, and it's, and I, and I know it's hard to, to digest that, and I know it's hard to say to yourself, how can I um, break this down so that it is digestible, it is something that could uh, work and function and actually have great outcomes. And I know that's the thing that's coming to your mind, like how am I going to make this easy? Um, but I don't think that you can make it easy. I think what you can do is make it easier. Right? Um, and it's the only way that I can describe that because there, you know, Cheryl, you started with the work of Martin Luther King and the words that he gave us. And look, the, the path that we've been on since then has been a great one. And there's been so much change over time. Um, I would not be up here if that work hadn't happened. Right? So um, I don't think that your job is to eradicate this concept. I don't think that your job is to completely get rid of it and to make it completely non-existent. We won't be able to, you know, there's during COVID, um, uh, the WHO uh, released a, a research that was talking about um, the impact of COVID-19 on black communities. And they were saying that um, they were talking about racism and its impact. And one of the researchers and the scientists said, look, it's going to take 25 generations for us to get rid of racism. I promise you I was sleepless for days after that, thinking, what am I doing in this line of work? This will never end. Um, but then I had a conversation with a mentor of mine who said, look, your job is just to take the baton to the next day. Your job is not to get rid of everything. You won't be able to. And so I almost give you that same answer to say, I don't think that you'll be able to make it completely easier, completely gone. I think what you're going to do is the work to make it easier for the next person that's in your role and so on and so forth. And that's the only way that I think you can make it feasible. Otherwise, it, it is discouraging. Otherwise, you do give up. And that's why others have given up thinking they're going to get rid of it all, but it won't work, right? And so um, if you're going to do it with humility and grace and you're going to be um, one of those tireless energies in this kind of work, um, just take it to that next step and then allow it to grow from there. And if you do it, in, if you do it honestly and you do it sincerely and with, with, with wholeheartedly, um, it will get easier for the next person, so on and so forth. And a decade or two from now, it won't look the same as what you faced, right? So I hope that that's helpful. Last thing I would add to that is getting the client experience right is hard. Uh, innovating is hard. Fixing business processes is hard. But it's essential, and organizations do it. View this work as essential and work that has to go forward. What words do you want to leave us with? And consider this a conversation that's the beginning. It's not the end, it's not the ultimate. It's just a conversation. Look, I think the, the idea of the work that we're all trying to do here is, um, I think it's so aspirational. Like there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of what we're trying to do that, um, would be so incredible and would probably um, make so many communities feel um, so good and bring joy into their lives and um, make them feel really, really um, part of society, right? Like there's, there's this thing that I heard the other day, I was talking about the impacts of COVID-19 and racial tensions and on mental health and how we're probably, we're starting to feel that now. Um, and, you know, uh, it was, what, three weeks ago, Shelton, we were on a management call, um, and uh, I was telling all the directors and the managers, okay, 
you know, they, they, they do the reports, right, on a, on a weekly basis on like how things are going, what are we working on, what are the, some of the risks and whatnot. Um, and out of nowhere, um, and I don't think I was on camera, Shelton. I wasn't on camera, was I? No. Um, none of us were, but there was a moment where I could feel like my, my breath, like I was like, I couldn't breathe for a second. Um, and I was thinking about the last three years of Black North and everything that we had done and all the incredible programs, the hundreds of people that we've helped, people we put in homes, people we've given scholarships and internship opportunities to, people who've been placed in jobs and the difficult conversations that we've had um, being black and doing work for black communities, double-edged sword, you know, someone talks to you about racism and you're like, do you understand that I'm also black uh, in that moment? And I felt like just, um, I couldn't breathe. And I started, um, I started crying on the call with all of the directors. Um, and I remember thinking, oh my God, Dahabo, you're the CEO, like you are not the one that's supposed to do this. You're the one who's supposed to be strong. You're the one who's supposed to lead by example. You're the one who's supposed to pour into your people so they can pour into the community that they serve. Like you're supposed to, you're supposed to. And I thought, okay, no, I can't forget what I'm supposed to. What can I do now in the moment in that, in that second of talking to the people who I love and care for and, you know, I see every day. I just wanted them to understand like you are not alone in this. This is so hard and I'm exhausted, but it is so impactful. And there's so many people who are living better lives because of the work that we do. Um, and when I cry, I'm like an ugly crier. Uh, so I'm happy I was not on camera, but I was losing breath as I was trying to say what I was saying to the team, which was like, I'm, I'm with you on this. Right. And so if there's anything that I want you to walk out of today, uh, out of our conversation, is that you're not alone in the work that you're doing um, and that it is uh, you are helping so many people more than you can probably imagine. And it's, they say that, you know, when we do work like this, the impact and the um, the lives that we change is beyond measure. So you can't even put a metric on that. Uh, how you're helping other people because you're being intentional, you're being impactful. And so um, know that you're not alone in it um, and you have not been alone in it. You won't be alone in it. There's a lot of people who struggle to do it, but the impact of that is so much greater than what we could ever imagine, right? They say that all the time. There are people who, um, there are people who are not here today, generationally, who've allowed us to be here, who've allowed us to do this kind of work and to be privileged enough to say, yeah, you know, um, this is something I'm going to do. Or this is how I'm going to do it. Or here are the challenges that we have. Um, and so I hope that you take that privilege as a badge of honor, sincerely. Um, but it's, you're not alone in it. Like it's, it's, it's okay to feel it, but it's also um, know that you, I promise you that you are helping so many people and I hope you get that opportunity, right? Those celebrations that we have, the award ceremonies and the galas and like, go to those things, celebrate those wins all the time. That's the only way you're gonna be able to do it, right? So I always, I always, always think that, you know, I'm not alone in it. So if we're gonna create that sense of belonging, I hope that we are belonging together. Like I hope we're actually doing that. Dahabo's parting message that we are standing on the shoulders of those who have fought this battle so we can too, really resonated with us. While detractors are trying to turn DEI into a four-letter word, 
She urges people to go to the gallus, be visible, take the baton they passed, and don't let the bullies prevent us from passing it to the next generation. We encourage you to keep that and this conversation in mind as you go back to your organizations and remind them why we must continue to fight for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you liked it, leave us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. And also be sure to subscribe. That way you'll get a notification every time we drop a new episode. Special thanks to Rivet360, our podcast partner. Without their support, we simply could not bring you this podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the new CCO.